You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today we're going to be continuing our series talking about the promise, and of course the promise is the gift of a Savior, that Jesus came, that heaven came down. We sing about this today, uh, that heaven came down in the person of Jesus to accomplish the, the work of God, which was ultimately to seek and save what was lost. The King of heaven left his throne room in heaven, surrounded by multitudes of angels, being worshipped unceasing before the throne. And he set that aside to come and rescue you and I. In fact, all religion has this in common. It's man trying to get relief or find answers or find fulfillment, find purpose, find his way to heaven, earn his way to God. But, but the good news of Jesus is that God came down, that heaven came down for you and for me, that Jesus came for us, the king came to seek and save what was lost. Isaiah 9 has been our passage through the series, Isaiah 9. Today, if you're taking notes, the message title is When Peace Rules, When Peace Rules. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. In this season with the winter solstice, it's the darkest natural season, the least amount of light, the shortest day, longest night that you have all year. But just like it's the darkest, God's light can shine the brightest. And no matter how dark things are in the world, things get darker. Have you noticed things get darker in some areas? Things are getting darker, but listen, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to see the contrast, see the light, see Jesus come in a great and mighty mighty way and the people who walked in darkness all their lives that's all they've known in the shadow of death upon them a light has shined he didn't come to shine light where there was already light we need to remember that church he didn't come to shine light where there's already light he came to shine light in the darkness in verse 3 you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy they rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil for you have broken the yoke of his burden that thing that had joined us and snared us enslaved us he says you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian here's what here's what brought all that about light and joy and break through in freedom. Verse six, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government, his reign, his rule, and peace, there will be no end. See, the first coming of Jesus is when the king entered into the human story, entered into the world. And we know that in Christmas, Jesus came in humility. He came, everybody was expecting a conquering king, a, 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 a king coming with his majesty and coming with the, the glory that he truly deserves. But instead he was born in a manger. He was born in the most humblest circumstances in Bethlehem. The king of glory humbled himself because he didn't just come for the rich, the powerful, the mighty, the popular. He came for 
every single person on planet earth. He came for the broken. He came for the bound. He came for the lost. He didn't come just for the religious. He came for the sinner. He came for everybody. Uh, and, and listen, that's good news for us, church. Jesus came. This is the greatest gift. In fact, this season is known as the Advent season, and Advent means the coming or the arrival, and it's an announcement of the arrival of the King, that Jesus came once, and here's the good news, he's coming again. As the church, we celebrate what he did when he came the first time, but we look forward to when he returns again, when the King of glory shows up as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he comes to reign and rule forever and ever. And in between the first advent and the second advent, there's the moment where you and I receive him as our king, where that peace that he describes here becomes a part of our life, where we receive and experience the benefit, the effect of the rulership and the reigning of Jesus as king in our lives. Three points today. Number one, starting very simply, is that Jesus brings peace with God. Jesus is described of all the titles and all the names of him in Isaiah 9. He's called the Prince of Peace. He's called the Prince of Peace. And it says of the, his government, his reign, his rule, there will be no end. And, and what he, what's attached to that, what's paired with his rule is peace. In fact, there's, they're inseparable. And that's, if you get nothing else from today, get this, that when the king rules, there's peace. There's real peace. There's lasting peace. There's peace. Peace in the world, peace on earth doesn't last often. What man creates is, is just the absence of temporary conflict. But uh, if you've got two people together, at some point, they're going to disagree. At some point, they're going to argue. And at some point, they're going to fight. None of you have ever experienced that. Good. Okay. That's news to you. Uh, but, 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 it, but our peace doesn't last, but his peace does. And when he rules, where he rules, the result is peace. In fact, this is so interesting. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's a separation of about 400 years. From the last book of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, when the, what, the Old Testament, all that came before, had promised and spoken of and prophesied literally hundreds of prophetic words about the coming of Jesus, that he would come and he would be a king and he would come and bring the, the, the salvation of God and all the things that were promised and spoken of, Jesus came to bring the fulfillment through what he would do on the cross. But I love this. In 400 years, there was actually silence, but at the end of that silence, heaven opened and the angels began to sing out. And, and I shared this last week that they spoke to a group of shepherds on the hill by the city of Bethlehem, by the town of Bethlehem near Jerusalem. And this is what they sang out. This is what they said. Peace on earth, good goodwill towards men. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. What a statement that the first word that people had heard in 400 years, what people heard from heaven was peace on earth, goodwill towards men. So many people think God is out to get them. I meet this all, people all the time. They think God's out to get you. They think God, well, I can't come to church. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't turn to Jesus because God is out to get me. Well, you don't know the God that the Bible describes because the God of the Bible is a God who is passionately in pursuit of you. When this king showed up, he didn't come to conquer. He came to lay down his life. He came to show his love for us. And it was a love that, that brought him to a cross. People say, I love you, but he actually showed it. 
and he laid down his life and he took our sin, the thing that had separated us from God. See, the problem, what the Bible does tell us is Jesus had to come for a reason. He came to save us from our sin because sin was enmity against God. It, it created a war. Uh, I, I, you know, and I'm kind of one of my hobbies or interests that nobody else in my family shares is I'm a history nerd. And, and so, you know, I'll, I'll describe, you know, just certain things that I, I, I've studied and learned about. And one of those that always struck me was there's this something in history called the Hundred Years' War. And for an entire century, literally generations in Europe between England and France were at war with one another. And what's so interesting to me about that is that one generation was still fighting a war that they didn't even start. One generation was fighting a war that their grandfathers had started, their grandparents had started, and literally generation after generation was stuck in a cycle of death, destruction, and violence because of something that had started before they even came to planet Earth. And let me just tell you, there was a war long before we showed up. I've got three kids in my house, and sometimes there's conflict. And usually the first question, the first, well, well, here, here's what usually happens. I don't even have to ask anymore. It used to be, who did it? Who started it? Now they volunteer that information and you can't trust any of it. <laughs> she started and he started. There's a battle and, and you, you try to get to the source of what actually happened and what really started it. Well, can I just tell you the war with God, we started it. We started it. God created a good world, a free world, a world that he created with freedom so that we could freely choose and love him back in return as he demonstrated his love for us. But the story from the beginning is that sin entered and we chose our own way. And as I've told you throughout this series, that wasn't just the human story. That was my story. That's our story. We chose our own way and we continued this war that started generations before we ever showed up. But peace with God starts with Jesus. Here's what the Bible says in, uh, in Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore having been made right or justified by faith, that is we put our faith in Jesus and we are made just, we're made forgiven, we're made free. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. I think at the root of a lot of our issues in life is that there's this conflict on the inside. I described it last week. We know that there's something deep down on the inside that isn't right. And, and we try to medicate it. We try to fix it. We try to, we try to solve it all different ways. But the only thing that can bring real and lasting peace is because there's a conflict that we started. And yet the only answer, God came to end that conflict. He came to send Jesus to set us free from our sin and to give us a home in heaven and a purpose on the earth, a relationship with God. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.19 describes how we got that peace. For it pleased him, the Father, that in Jesus all his fullness would dwell. Uh, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by Jesus, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Peace had a price. Just like natural peace is often won in great conflict and a great sacrifice, but just as that's true, it's also true that our salvation cost him everything. And Jesus, through the blood of his cross, made peace with us. You who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. That's good news, church. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's amazing. He, he forgives us. He sets us free. He, he gives us a future and a hope. 
And, and so we've got this, and Isaiah 40 in the Old Testament describes it this way, and, and this was before the cross, uh, but God spoke through Isaiah because they'd experienced the judgment of, they had turned away from God, they had chosen uh, generation after generation idols and images and statues and trusting other nations instead of God, all of that, and, 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 and all of their conflict resulted in only their own oppression and death and destruction, and yet God said this, he said, comfort my people, comfort my people, yes, my people says your God, Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So the, the, she had experienced the result, the consequence enough. And here's the good news in Jesus that he has taken the price. He has paid the price for our sin. And because he received our punishment, what we deserve, we get to go free. We get to be made whole. We get to be given a future and a hope and we can receive the same comfort that Isaiah prophesied to that nation. He said, comfort and know her warfare has ended. You don't have to run from God, church. You don't have to run from God, sinner. You don't have to run from God. No matter how long you've been alive, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can run to the throne of God's goodness and grace and find help in time of trouble. And so her warfare, your warfare has ended. My war is over. We started it, he ended it. Number two is that God's peace can transform our relationships. God's peace can transform my relationships. Uh, James 3, here's, here's just a couple practical things. James chapter 3, verse 14 uh, says, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom doesn't descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. Uh, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But here's the wisdom of heaven. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, with partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he says a lot there. First he says what doesn't create good relationships. <laughs> Envy, self-seeking, confusion, all of that. And, and, and if, if you're honest, if we're honest, there's some relationships that that's just the, that's what's at the heart of it, at the center of the conflict uh, it, it is what they want or what I want or what we're, our own self-interest. And whenever that's the foundation, it never produces life. It always produces confusion because that comes from a wisdom that's earthly. That is, it's just natural it's it's sensual. It's just it's what I feel. Sometimes we live our entire lives based on what I feel, what I want, and at that when that's the foundation, the relationship will not have peace. And, and even further, it says it's demonic. That is the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your family. So does the enemy. And he comes to sow confusion, destruction, and all of that to tear apart marriages and families and relationships. And, and, but, but here's what pe God's peace does. But here's what it says. It's, it's peaceable, gentle. Anybody besides me want to grow in some gentleness this year? I'm still working on that one sometimes. Uh, willing to yield. Let's, let's just meditate on willing to yield for a little bit. <laughs> willing to yield, but I don't want to. Willing to yield. Okay, I, I'll keep moving on. Uh, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. What if we gave to others? It's funny how easy we are to forgive ourselves often, but not forgive others. Hold others to a standard we don't even hold ourselves to. 
Uh, verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, so you've not been called to be a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker. And the way you make peace is you have to sow it. It's like planting a seed. Well, yeah, but you don't know my situation. You don't know how difficult they are. Well, whoever they are, they're probably like all the difficult days that I know. And, 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 and you've got to sow where you're wanting to reap peace. You've got to sow where you're wanting to see peace planted and grown up. And so Romans 12 says it this way, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for, for good in the sight of all men. If it's possible, because God knows sometimes it is not possible for that relationship to be all that he wants it to be because it's always, every relationship has two sides to it. I'm gonna do a series in the new year in, in February on relationships. And sometimes there's, there's, well, there's principles in God's word that if, if we would apply it, our relationships would be better. If we would apply God's word, our relationships would be better. I, I, I hear conversations with people all the time where it's like, well, well, you know, why isn't, you know, man, why did God do this? And why didn't God do that? And, and God gave us his word to apply in our lives. And he's given us a foundation to build our lives on. But many times we choose to do it our own way based on what's earthly, sensual, demonic. Okay, this is my sermon, but I, I think it'll help somebody. <laughs> If it is possible, well, well, you don't know what they've done, how they've treated, what they've said. Well, here's what you're responsible to do. Don't return evil for evil. Here's what peacemakers do. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There are some people that are just going to be contrary. I mean, you know, we've had our, we've had our, our Facebook uh, sponsored posts for the church for the last few weeks go all over the place. And every, every other day we get a contrary comment. <laughs> it's just funny. I, I said, I had no idea, you know, that there was, I, I could have a calling in life to sit in my PJs at home and just comment on people's stuff on Facebook. <laughs> I didn't know that was a, a, an actual option, you know. <laughs> As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath for it is written, vengeance is mine. In other words, let God be the judge. You choose peace. And don't just keep peace. Don't just try to, you know, we, we think, well, to have peace, I've got to avoid some hard conversations. Well, well avoiding hard conversations doesn't keep, it doesn't produce peace. It actually produces the opposite. Uh, produces resentment or produces bitterness. Uh, the third and final point is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, number three, you can live in God's peace every day in every situation. You can live in God's peace every day in every situation. Yeah, but Brian, you don't know my story. You don't know, you know, and, and maybe you're true, but here's what I know. God's word promises that we have available to all of us peace that doesn't come from our circumstance and because it doesn't have its source in our circumstance or people I, I i'm getting out of the way that that we need to we need to show peace we need to make peace we need to sow it we need to deal with that but but for us to have peace externally we've got to first have it internally I can't have it out there. I can't have it in my home. I can't have it in my marriage. I can't have it in my workplace. I can't have it in those environments until first I allow something to rule in me. 
Colossians says it this way, let the peace of God, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts continually. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let it, let it rule. So, so, so when Isaiah describes the coming of Jesus, the coming of this king that would be born in a manger, who would give his life one day for our salvation, that Jesus is described as everlasting father, mighty God, all, all these things, prince of peace. And then it says, of his government or his rule and peace, there will be no end. So those two are connected. And where I allow Jesus to rule in my life, the result will be peace. If I could flip that, where I don't allow him to rule, the result is an absence of peace many times. And, and, and letting him rule looks like trusting him in every situation. It looks like saying yes when I want to say no. None of you ever want to say no. There's a reason why the Bible calls us to surrender because there's some moments where everything in us says, I want to do this my way, but I'm going to allow you, Jesus, to rule here instead. And when I allow him to rule, the fruit of that is peace. The result of that is peace. It has to start in me, though. It has to start in us. I, I know... It's easy to point fingers. It's easy to blame them. It's easy to blame the situation, the environment, whatever it is around us that is stirring up. And it's like a storm around us. But many times, if we're honest, the storm has a genesis. That storm had a source in the fact that there's something in our lives, not always, but sometimes in our lives, there's a place that is not under the rulership of God in our life. That we say, I'm gonna hold on to this. I'm gonna do it my way. The result is a storm, it's not peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Just before that, it says in verse four that he's broken the yoke of his burden. The yoke is something that joins you. So, so in an agricultural society, in the Old Testament was an agricultural society, so it often uses those pictures and metaphors. And, and the picture here is that it, like a yoke connects two oxen together and joins them across their shoulders. Something is upon their shoulders that joins them together. And it actually here is used as a picture of a, a, a bondage that, that something has joined you to something destructive. And yet Jesus came to break the yoke. God broke the yoke. He broke you free from what had held you. People all the time are ruled by insecurity. They're ruled by worry. They're ruled by fear. They're ruled by trying to measure up. They're ruled by all these, a, a, a pursuit of more, but they're not satisfied. They're ruled by all these different things and the result is an absence of peace. If, if Jesus is ruling instead of those things and I'm joined to Jesus, the result will be peace will be life, will be wholeness. And Jesus came to break the yoke. What are you yoked to today? What is oppressing or keeping you back from the fullness of the life that Jesus came to bring you? And, and there's just times even, I, you know, I read this in, in Numbers chapter 11, it says Moses is responsible for a lot. Moses is the leader of Israel at a time where their population numbers in the millions. It's, it's two to three million people and he's led them out of Egypt. He's brought them out of, by the power of God, brought them out of slavery in Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness and just about every day there's a new 
issue, a new complaint, a new problem, a new, and, and so he's dealing with all of this. And finally, he comes to God, and here's what he says to God. I love this, this statement. He comes to God and says, uh, Numbers 11, 11. He says, uh, Moses says to the Lord, why have you afflicted me? Why, why have you done this to me, God? What has he done? He says, you've, have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? How many, how many of you, there's something you prayed for, you, pers- you asked God for, and then God brought it into your life, and now you gotta take care of it. You gotta manage it, you gotta deal with it. You've, you ask God for that job, and now it gets you up in the morning earlier than you'd like to, and... and, and and you got to deal with some difficult people sometimes. And there's just those moments. And, and we, listen, he says, look at verse, verse uh, 14. He says, I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Now, now you could read this as a complaint and in many ways it was, but it's also a really good realization that there were some things that were on Moses' shoulders that were supposed to be on God's shoulders. The government is upon his what? Shoulders. Whenever it's on my shoulder, whenever there's something I'm carrying, I'm, I'm leading the way, I'm deciding, I'm ruling, I'm managing, I'm carrying, what burden are you carrying today that he should be carrying instead? Because if it's on your shoulders instead of his, you won't have peace. But if you put it on his shoulders and allow him to rule in the situation, and maybe that looks like, God, I've got to trust you with this because this burden, this need, this situation in my family, with my kids, with my job, with my future is too heavy for me. That's okay to pray that. That's okay to go to God and say, I can't. I can't, God, I can't do this on my own. Well, the good news is you're not on your own. It doesn't have to be on your shoulders. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let it rule, let him rule. Peace from God makes us whole. Peace from God makes us fulfilled. Peace from God guards us and keeps us us steady. Isaiah 26, verse three says, you'll keep him in perfect peace. In Hebrew, it's a double word, shalom, shalom. Shalom is a word for peace in the Hebrew Old Testament that doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It means completeness, wholeness, soundness. What's missing is now restored. What's broken is now made whole or healed. So shalom is, is at the heart of this that you, God says, I, I will keep you in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom whose mind is stayed on you. So I can have peace in every situation. That's absolutely right. I can have peace in every, every day, in every situation, not because the situation is good, but because God is good. Because God is working all things together for my good. God has an answer. He has an end result. And I'm going to, in the meantime, trust him because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord there is everlasting strength. But let me reread verse three again. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed. It's fixed. I remember as a kid, I, we would go out to, I lived on the West Coast and we'd go out to visit family in California and go out to the beach. And I remember at the beach as a little kid, whenever I would, uh, I'd go out and, you know, play in the water, I'd be out there jumping in the waves and just enjoying it. I'd look up and realize I am about like 300 feet away from where my parents are because I've drifted. 
The more I was out in the water, the more easily it was to drift. And, and you know, even as an adult, I'll take my kids to the beach, we'll visit down in Florida, and we'll go out to the water, and, and, and no matter how hard you try, you just tend to drift. You just move the opposite way. And nobody ever drifted towards peace, we always drift from peace. We never drift towards peace, towards wholeness, towards life, towards freedom. We actually drift the other way. That's why we have to intentionally, God's job is to bring the answer. His job is to overcome that. His job is to provide a way. Our job is to trust him in the process and set our eyes on Jesus, who you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Philippians 4 says it this way in the New Testament, be anxious for nothing. Well, can I be anxious for some things? <laughs> can I just try to figure that out? Figure them out. Be anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. See, when you begin to be filled with peace, you don't have to have it figured out. You can go, well, I don't understand God. This still hasn't changed yet, but you know that you have peace. I, I, I still see the problem, I still see the need, but I have peace, why? Because I started with him. The peace of God which passes all understanding will now do something for me as well. Not only fill your life, it'll guard your life. It'll protect your life against that fear. It'll guard your heart, whose minds, hearts and minds through, through Christ Jesus. Here, verse eight, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report. What do you do with that? Whatever things are praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So, so I've got to be intentional in choosing peace, choosing Jesus, taking things off my shoulders and placing them in prayer onto his. Prayer is not just about what you receive from God. It's also about what you unload in his hands. It's about what you surrender in his presence. It's about what you allow him to be God in and say, I'm gonna trust you when I don't understand. I'm gonna trust you when I don't see a way. I'm gonna ask you to, that, that you're gonna reign in this situation. Verse nine, in the things which you learned, saw, received, heard, and saw in me, that's Paul writing this. He says, these do and the God of peace will be with you. When you choose Jesus, you choose Peace, Second Thessalonians 3.16, in case you're still thinking, well, there's gotta be a day or a circumstance where, where peace isn't the result or isn't available. Uh, but here's what this says. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always and in every way. So, so whatever you're dealing with, it can fall in the always. <laughs> in every way, in every situation, and every day. One last story, Mark chapter four. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark 4. There's, there's two times Jesus that's recorded that Jesus had his disciples cross over the Sea of Galilee and there would be a storm. One of them is the more well-known of the two. It's the one where Jesus walks on water. He's not in the boat with them. He sends them ahead and the disciples are in the storm. The wind and the waves are crazy. The boat's about to be torn to pieces and, and Jesus shows up in the middle of the storm. And Peter walks on water out to Jesus and it's a great story of faith. But I want you to see this. This is the second time. Verse 35, Mark 4, 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, the crowd, they took him along in the boat as he was. 
And, and I don't know why it uses that language, but I, here, here's what I know. We don't take Jesus as the world says he is, or as culture says he is, or as our feelings say he is, or as the opinions of even religion and tradition say he is, but as he really is, as his word says he is. And, and, and sometimes my feelings are going to disagree, and that's when I let him rule. And my understanding's not gonna, it's not gonna fit and line up. And I go, well, God, you're God, I'm not. I'm gonna trust you. And I'm gonna take you into my life. I'm gonna receive Jesus as he is. As Lord of all. And they take him in the boat as he is. And the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. Wait a minute, Jesus, you didn't say anything about a storm. You said, let us cross over to the other side. You didn't say anything about a storm. You didn't say anything about wind. You didn't say anything about waves, but that's what happens. Verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. And you know this, the disciples, many of them were fishermen. They were, they were experienced. They were used to these waters. They knew the sea and they knew how serious this storm was. And they start panicking. You know, some people panic about nothing or everything, <laughs> and everything's a crisis, and everything's serious, and everything's a problem, and, and you just know that's not the case, but, but some people with the, the information know enough about the storm to go, yeah, this is serious. This is real. This is life-threatening. A great windstorm arose. The wind, the waves, the, the boats flooding, and Jesus, watch what it says in verse 38, he was in the stern of the boat asleep on a pillow. <laughs> Jesus, the one who told them cross over, the one who said, let's go, let's cross over the other side. He's asleep. And the disciples misinterpret his silence and his lack of response to the storm. See, I wonder how many times we, we think God's silence means that God's not present. We think God's silence means that God's not good or God able or he's not gonna show up. Or We've talked about the promise for two weeks about how God fulfills his promises and how God makes a way and all that. And, and I just wanna remind you, you know, when I was a kid and I, I never liked taking tests, I, I'm sure some of you probably love tests. I never liked tests. And I, if I remember right in school, test time was always the quietest for the teacher. The lecture was over and now there was silence from the teacher because why? It was test time. It was time to put into practice what had, been in, had poured in, what had been shared, what had been taught. And sometimes it feels like God's silent, but it just means that we have to go back to the last thing he told us. Let us cross over to the other side. It doesn't mean God's not there. It doesn't mean he's not present. In fact, Jesus was asleep on a pillow and they awoke him. And here's what the disciples said to Jesus, the one who walked with him, the ones who knew him best, the ones who heard his words, the ones who saw him open blind eyes and multiply the loaves and fish and raise the dead and all the things that Jesus did, they responded with really bad theology. <laughs> Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're going to die? Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? Where did you go? Why are you sleeping? Don't you realize how serious this is? Have you ever told God that? Like, God, don't you realize how serious this situation is right now? 
as if he doesn't know what's going on. The God who knows the hairs of my head, the God who knows every detail of my life and yours, the God who knows every moment all at the same time, that God who inhabits eternity, the God who sees the end before the beginning. Don't you care? Don't, don't ever misinterpret who God is based on a temporary storm. What did he say? He said, let's cross over. He fell asleep on the pillow. I don't know about you, but that to me is the definition of peace. Jason, if you want to come up. That's the definition of peace. To be able to be asleep in the midst of a storm. In the midst of an environment that's raging, that's chaotic, that's destructive, that, that you just don't see how Jesus is asleep. And, and, and him being asleep didn't mean the storm wasn't serious and it didn't mean it wasn't real, but it did mean that there was something greater. And so Jesus, in response to them saying, do you not care that we're perishing? He didn't explain himself. He didn't justify himself. He just arose and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace be still. He rebuked the wind, the thing that was causing the waves to be whipped up and beat against the boat. And he said to the sea, peace be still. I think we need to recognize there's some things we need to rebuke that are causing the wind or causing the waves to be roaring. And we need to speak peace to the waters. There's some relationships we're trying to rebuke instead of speaking peace and realize that the answer is what we bring in prayer. You're not quite with me, church. If, if you would pray about that relationship, you'd start seeing the wind stilled before the waters got calm. We, we think we're gonna nag them into stillness. Instead of going, no, you have spiritual authority because that same Jesus that spoke to the wind and the waves who said he rebuked the wind, that means it was needed correction. You don't rebuke something that doesn't need correction. He corrected the wind and he spoke peace to the waves. He spoke peace to the, I think we flipped those. <laughs> but Jesus said, peace be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he did have a word for the disciples. He turns to them and he says, why in the world are you so afraid? How is it that you have no faith? So they feared exceedingly. <laughs> And said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He was asleep in the boat. And sometimes peace looks like resting in the midst of turmoil. If we let hurry drive us, if we let the enemy drive us, if we make decisions out of fear, if, we, if we're moved by pressure, we're not gonna live in peace. And Jesus was never moved by pressure. In fact, pressure would come and people would come with everything he was supposed to do and everything he was supposed to be. And Jesus never let any of that define who he was. He stayed in peace. He embodied peace. Perfect rest. And if you can sleep in a storm, here's what, what this lets me know. Peace that can sleep in a storm has authority over that storm. Jesus gets woken up and he rebukes the wind. And the authority of that king silenced the storm.
and brought stillness to the waters. And what if today you're in a storm and that same Jesus, that as we're praying, we say, God, you can do anything. You can work in any situation. And we, in prayer, invite him to be God, invite him to reign, invite him to rule. Allow him to bring us peace. What if he could calm the storm? Peace looks like being able to sleep, and I know it's all raging around you, but you're still peaceful. I know everybody else is going crazy around you, but you still have rest. You still have joy. You still have wholeness, not based on everything being okay and everything being good and easy. And No, no, because of who's with you in the boat. Because silence didn't mean he wasn't there. No, he was present in that storm. He was present in that boat and he's present in your storm right now. He's present in your situation. He's present in your family. He's right there and don't think he won't. Don't think he can't. Jesus, don't you care? He says, why are you so afraid? I already told you we're crossing over. I already told you. You know, if I could go back to some seasons that looked pretty crazy and and frankly, in some cases were, things that I thought would take me out, things that I thought I wouldn't make it through. I I, I look back at those and I I wish I could tell myself how it was gonna work out. And I'm sure God could always make it easy on us and let us know, well, this is how. But it's actually in those seasons of trust where we grow. It's in those seasons of trust where our character is built, our faith is established, and we realize I can be at peace in any storm because he's with me. And even before the situation changed, I had peace because of him. And you can too. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. I want us to pray. Jesus brought peace with God. Where we've run, he ran for us. Where we... Where we pushed him away, he had his arms wide open. They're open still. He, he wants you and I to know him, to experience forgiveness and a future and a hope and a promise. He wants us to know life. The joy that comes through Jesus, the, the, the fulfillment and purpose that comes, the peace that comes from knowing you have a home forever in heaven, but also a purpose right here on the earth to make a difference walk with God. That's incredible. To see storms that should have stopped you, should have taken you out, but instead see the power and authority of Jesus that calms every wind and that silences every wave. That Jesus is here for you and me. Do you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment and I'm going to ask our prayer team if they come down. But before we invite people for prayer for specific needs, if you're in here and you say, you know what, I I don't have peace with God like you're talking about. I don't have a relationship with God. Christmas is about a gift. The first gift, the greatest gift that's ever been given was the gift of a savior. And that gift had a high cost. It cost God his very best. The Bible says that heaven's streets are paved with gold, but we were not redeemed by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus on a cross who died in my place and yours. 
I, I still can't fathom the depth of his love that he would give everything when my entire life I said no he said yes and he said yes for you he wants you to know him Jesus died on that cross the gift is available but here's your part you have to say yes back to receive that gift the gift is free salvation is free a hope and a future is free the peace I've described to you today it's free it's free for all and every person alive can have it can experience it can walk in and know it for themselves it's a peace that can transform your family but it first has to transform you you've got to receive it for yourself and if you're in here and you've never said yes to Jesus and made him Lord of your life made him king of your heart I want to give you that opportunity right now and maybe you have, but you've been far from God. You've been, you've been running. You've been distant. And today it's time to make things right. Today it's time to have a fresh start. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.